Our reading this evening is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God. I want to speak tonight about the power of sacrifice, the power of sacrifice. I don't know how the word sacrifice sounds to you. I admire the idea of sacrifice. So when I hear a story of uh, someone sacrificing themselves in a, in a war situation or in a disaster situation or maybe someone you know, climbing up Everest and they put themselves in harm's way or, or put themselves in the way of a bullet or step out of their comfort zone in order to protect or help or save someone they care about, someone they love. I'm inspired by it. I think, yes, I love sacrifice. It's really easy to admire from afar, I find. But in the day-to-day nitty-gritty of life, I, I sometimes find it a little bit hard. Like when you're in a queue for a coffee in the morning and someone, you know, one of those people who doesn't realise there's a queue and um, they just kind of walk up. Or, or when you're queuing in traffic and someone just cuts in front of you. I don't quite like the idea quite so much in those circumstances. I feel like something can be things like, no, I'm not so sure. So I admire it far off. But, but when it's a bit close, I find it a little bit harder to live out. But the idea of sacrifice is absolutely key. And we're starting a series tonight um, in Romans 12. And Romans 12 is sometimes described as one of the most important chapters in one of the most important letters ever written. Because between chapters 1 and 11, Paul has been setting out who God is and what he's done through Jesus and the significance of that for the world and for each of us. And then in Romans 12, in chapter 12, Paul then says, therefore, because of all that, this is what it means for how you live your day-to-day lives. This is what it means for your relationships, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams. How you live. And the key metaphor, the key image he uses is sacrifice. Not that we might just bring a sacrifice or that we might just offer a sacrifice, but that we might actually become a sacrifice ourselves, that we might become a living sacrifice. Now, how would you do that? Why would you do that? What would give you the motivation to do that? Well, Paul says, in view of God's mercy. He says our motive is because of God's mercy. Every other motive in life will let you down. Fear eventually will exhaust you. It just fear drives you for a while and then it becomes too tiresome. It exhausts you. Guilt drives you for a while, works for a while, but then you start to resent it and it becomes counterproductive. Even your own self-interest or your pride, it works for a while, but then after a while, it just starts to consume you on the inside. But if you're motivated by God's mercy, well, God's mercy is infinite. It's deeper than the sea and it's higher than the sky. If you're motivated by God's mercy... It will never run out. Your motivation can be infinite because his mercy is beyond all comprehension. And it's demonstrated supremely on the cross. Jesus' blood on the cross shed for us. When you see his sacrifice, you understand, you experience his mercy. The cross tells you you are a much-loved daughter, a much-loved son, 
of the Most High God. You could spend a lifetime looking at the cross and not exhaust the perspectives from which you could view through it God's mercy and love towards you. But also his mercy in a thousand and one different ways. The kindness he's shown to you. The grace he's shown to you. He's sustained you when you were successful. He's been faithful to you when you failed. He's protected and healed and guarded you from harm. He's restored you when you thought your foot had slipped. And he's upheld you when you thought you couldn't keep going. He's strengthened you and comforted you. God is always showing his mercy to us. And Paul says, remember God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, the first thing he says is, offer yourselves. Paul writes, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The word sacrifice is a little bit unusual. It means to make holy, to make sacred. And in our culture, it probably feels a little bit medieval sacrifice. It feels a little bit ancient. But the people who Paul was writing to had probably all seen some form of actual real life sacrifice. They'd seen an animal brought into a temple or somewhere else and sacrificed and offered to a God or something. So they were like very familiar with this concept. And Paul's not encouraging that. He's not saying, you know, bring your livestock and your dogs and your cats into church. He's not saying that, you know, we don't have to offer sacrifices in order to win God's forgiveness because Jesus is our one perfect sacrifice. That is done. Many people spend their lives trying to earn God's approval and feeling empty because you can't earn God's approval. You can only receive the approval that has been won for you through Jesus Christ. But when you live in the light of the approval that's been won for you, you're actually able to please God. So Paul's not saying do that, but what he is saying, there's another kind of offering that was made in the temple, and that was a thank offering. And that was where people would come into the temple and they'd say, because everything good in my life comes from God, because all I have comes from you, God, I want to recognize that. I want to remind my heart about that. I want to remind myself about that. So I'm going to offer something incredibly valuable, remarkably costly back to you as a sign of saying, this is all yours. I am all yours and I want to give it all back to you. So they'd bring in their best cow or their best goat or their best thing and offer it. And the priest would take it and sacrifice it and it'd be consumed in fire on the altar. And it'd be a way of saying, ultimately, Lord, whatever happens, it's all yours. I'm all yours. Now, I could do that tonight. Could have brought in a little cow here, um, you know, pulled out a knife. But that would have been a bit gruesome. I feel like I would have got quite a few emails about that. And... Um, <laughs> And it would have been messy in all sorts of ways. So I was trying to think what else in our life is like portable, it's high value, you know, we really rely on it. It means a lot to us, it would costly for us to give it up and to give it over to God and ask for it to be consumed. And I was thinking, what could it be? What would that thing be these days? In 2023, it's not a cow, maybe it's a phone. Has anyone got a, Ditier, have you got a little phone? You can, oh, thanks so much, Ditier. Amazing, thank you. Really great. Oh, iPhone Pro. And, um, and so, uh, so actually, you know, Dittier 
in the temple, in the church. He's offered it. I happen to be a priest, so he's offered me this high-value item. Oh, there's a table. And, um, and you would bring, the priest would bring this high-value item that means a lot. You know, it's a valuable thing. It's not to be taken for granted. And the priest would kind of put it on the, on the altar, and then it would be consumed by fire. And it would probably hurt a little bit, but it was for the greater good because it reminded people that actually everything comes from God. Now, obviously, I'm not going to set fire to this because um, that would set off the alarms. I would never do that. Um, But I do have a hammer. So um, I don't know. What do you think? Should I give it a go? And um, yeah, oh, thank you so much. So so what would happen? You know, you've got your phone and they're just, oh, oh my goodness me. That's not good, is it? Look at that. And then they would just give it a real whack and you know. Hard being a priest. So um and then oh and then um and then it would kind of be, you know, it's like offered up, you know, so grateful for everything in my life is yours, and um and uh and the sacrifice would have been made. Um, just nice little bit of modern art there. Let's just fold that up. You can put that on your wall. Thank you so much, Ditier. Let's thank Ditier. Amazing. <laughs> thank you. Now, I just want to be uh, really clear about this. God does not want you to sacrifice your life to him so he can hit you with a hammer. That is not what's going on here. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He wants you to offer your life to him. God's purposes for you are good. They're pleasing. They're perfect. You can trust him. He's a good Father. But the image Paul uses here is so powerful because when we let go of things that have a hold on our hearts, when we offer them over to God, it's powerful. God wants what's best for you. And it's almost like Paul uses this powerful image of sacrifice to stir up in us a passion to see what might happen when we lay down our lives to see how God might light them up. And Paul uses the word bodies. It actually means like your whole being, offer your whole being as a living sacrifice. Every inch of your body, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your tongue, your hands, your feet, your legs, whatever parts of the body might there be. Um, Other parts of your body, offer your whole bodies as a living sacrifice. Every inch of your body, every neuron of your mind, your intelligence, your creativity, your insight, your thought life. Offer up every neuron of your mind. Offer up every every decision of your will, your choices, your ambitions, your hopes, your fears. Offer up every ounce of your time, every minute of your day, your time, your energy, your focus, your priorities. Offer it all up to God. And say, in view of God's mercy, it's yours. It's yours. I want to give it to this. You've given me this whole life. And not only have you given it to me, you've redeemed it. You've bought me at a price. And so therefore, I want to give it back to you. Every bit of it. I want to offer myself as a living sacrifice. Now that is hugely challenging and hugely exciting. It's hugely challenging because it's costly. To be a sacrifice is costly and it's hugely exciting 
Because it opens up the possibility of seeing how God might light up our lives as we lay them down. Seeing how he might manifest his will in our lives as we trust him as a good father and say, this might be costly. I might not want to do this. It might be against my desires. It might be challenging. It might be scary. I'm not sure it's going to end. But I want to obey you. And we know that fire falls on sacrifice. There's an anointing that only comes through obedience. And as we lay our lives down, God can move powerfully through his spirit in our lives in ways we could never even imagine. But it's hard. You know, the thing about being a living sacrifice, I don't know if you've noticed this, is if you have a dead sacrifice, they stay dead. You know, they just kind of sit there on the altar and they're like dead. But if you have a living sacrifice, the thing is they can be on the altar and then they jump off the altar. So, you know, you can be on the altar on a Sunday, you know, love you, Lord, you're amazing, life's wonderful, you're great, I'm great, this is great, everyone else is great. And then, um, and then when you're out in a club on a Friday, it's like, it's a bit awkward because bouncers don't let altars into clubs. I don't know if you've noticed. And so you just, I'll just leave that behind a little bit, 3 a.m., just be in a slightly different space. Or maybe, you know, you're on the altar, you're praying, yeah, I want to be a good influence in my workplace. But then on Monday, when your boss is really annoying you, you're like, right, I'm going to send that passive-aggressive email and he's going to get what's for. Or, you know, it's, or maybe it's just a part of your body. You know, maybe you're on the altar and you're sitting there, you're quite happy, but then you have an argument or a disagreement with someone and you think, I just need my mind to be off the altar for an hour so I can think of a hundred ways to get that person back. You know, I can replay the argument in my mind and say all the things I wish I would have said first time around, which is like the mic drop responses. So I'm just going to put my mind off the altar for a little bit. Or maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's your eyes. Maybe you find yourself looking at stuff late at night on your phone or your laptop. It's not good for you. And you just move your eyes off the altar. Or maybe your tongue. You speak about people in a way that you know if they're present, they would be hurt by. I normally find there's a part of me that's trying to get off the altar at any one time. Sometimes it's the other way around. You know, you're kind of like, you're quite happy to put your hands on the altar and lift them up on a Sunday. Yeah, but actually you want most of your body off the altar so that, you know, you can just do whatever you want, you know, Monday to Saturday, but then you're happy to come back again. Most of the time now, I don't want anyone to know that this is a big thing in my life. I'm, I'm just under the radar, but I'll come back every now and again. Maybe it's your feet. Maybe, normally find there's at least one part of my body that's resisting building the altar. Maybe God's challenging you to speak to someone in your workplace or your context, your community. Maybe befriend someone who's a little bit lonely, but they're a bit awkward, a bit difficult. No one else is friends with them. You don't really want to sacrifice your social capital. So you're resisting walking across the room and making friends with them. Maybe it's your voice. Maybe you feel called to speak out on behalf of someone who's had a difficult time in your workplace. But even as you try and you know, open up your mouth to speak for them, it's like it's hard. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe you're finding it really hard to forgive someone. And every time you try, it's like your heart resists going anywhere near. It's like, no, I want to hang on to that offence for a little bit longer. Thank you so much. You've got this like icy ball in your stomach, even at the thought of forgiving them. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe, maybe you've been dating someone who's no good for you. And no good for your walk with Jesus. You need to say, actually, I, just, I need to step away from that. Maybe you need to start dating people in a way that actually 
properly recognises the image of God that the other person bears and treats them according to that. I don't know, maybe for you it's your hands. Maybe you've been dating someone for a long time, you just need to kind of you know, get over yourself and put a ring on the finger. I don't know. And um, not saying that is the case. Don't say the pastor said you have to. You know, da, da. You know, maybe you're single. Maybe you've been single for a long time. Maybe you feel you might be single for your entire life. And for you, it's this thing of working out what does it look like to glorify God through my singleness? You know, how might I draw closer to Jesus, never married, never had kids, and understand him better through this gift of singleness I've been given? You know, maybe it's something to do with your time. Maybe it's something to do with your ambitions. Maybe you need to lay an ambition down that's all about yourself and pick up an ambition that's all about God. There'll be something right now which is resisting being put on the altar and something which you need to put on the altar. You know, often that thing that resists it, it kind of screams at you. It says, if you go up there, it's going to be terrible. If you go up there, it's going to be awful. If you put me on there, you'll kill me. And then when you get up there, when you surrender it, you suddenly realize it, it might be hard, it might be costly, it might be inconvenient, it might be painful. But there's something powerful that happens through it. So there's a freedom that only can be discovered on the other side of obedience. There's a joy that can only be discovered on the other side of surrender. There's a peace that can only be discovered when you respond to the call Jesus places on your life. Often, our, you know, our body tells us, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, it'll be too hard. But then we miss the opportunity to see what God might do when we actually lay our whole lives on the altar. You know, the people I most admire in my life are people who have made extraordinary sacrifices to place their whole lives on the altar. At great cost. People might have ridiculed them for it. People might not have understood. People might have said they're silly might be completely hidden and no one would ever know. But they're saying, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, with every inch of me. Paul says, offer your whole bodies as a living sacrifice. And what he says is, that is your true and proper, your best worship. You know, your worship is more defined by your decision to sacrifice than by the songs that we sing. I love the songs that we sing. I love the anointed worship we just had. I love what God is doing through this church in the space of worship. I'm really excited about it. And sometimes you have to worship to kind of put steel in your spine so you're ready to make those sacrifices, ready to surrender those things. And then as you make those decisions, it's almost like that gives a substance and a weight and an integrity to the songs we sing together. It like transforms them. But what this means is every day of your life, every minute of your day can be an act of worship. You're not just fixing a car. You are worshiping Jesus. You're not just building a house. You are worshiping Jesus. You're not just raising a child. You are worshiping Jesus. You're not just writing an essay. You are worshiping Jesus. You're not just restructuring a company or advising a client, or making a coffee, you are worshipping Jesus. 
And that is exciting. Paul says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And then the second thing he says is be transformed. So how do we do it? Paul writes, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform. There is huge pressure on you the whole time to conform, just to be like everyone else, to look like everyone else, to sound like everyone else, to act like everyone else, to live your life according to the drumbeat of the world around you. And sometimes the question is, can we hear another drumbeat? Can we see another way? Dare we act differently? Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world will pressure you to act like everyone else and it will sell it as freedom and joy. But actually all it's offering is conformity and boredom. You were made unique. Jesus broke the mold when he made you. Your giftings, your callings, quite unlike everyone else. So don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes this pressure is quite gradual. I started working as a lawyer. I was convinced I was being sent there to transform the culture of my workplace. I was really cocky, so confident. I thought it'd take me about a year. <laughs> then we'll all be like, you know, holding hands, seeing Kumbaya at lunch, and you know, the criminal justice system be transformed. I can then do something else. What I realized after a year was this place is shaping me more than I'm shaping it. Like the, the cultural currents are strong in this place. And I felt I was being shaped, squeezed into this mold they had without even realizing it. One senior guy took me out for lunch, really senior lawyer. They said there's no such thing as a three lunch. It's true. And we got to the end of uh, the starter, and then he leaned across the table and he said, Stephen, tell me, what's really going on with all the other junior lawyers? I was like, oh, he's asking me for the gossip. He said, what's the gossip? He actually said, what's the gossip with all the junior lawyers? I want to know. And I, in every fibre of my being, I've, like, I've got to give him something. He's bought lunch. He's an eminent guy. I'm still relatively junior here. I, I, I want him to go away liking me. So I was thinking, I could tell him about that person who stuffed up last week. That, that guy and that girl are in a secret relationship. I could give him that. that. He'll be happy if he knows that. Thinking of all the things that went through my mind. But at the same time, I was reading James in my Bible. Bad idea. James says, watch what you do with your tongue. Don't gossip. So I'm stuck. Him on one side, James on the other so eventually I kind of summoned up the courage I still can't believe I actually said these words in a restaurant I said actually I try not to gossip because I'm a Christian <laughs> I mean the awkwardness honestly like the atmosphere just changed you could have cut it with a knife he looked confused I was embarrassed I looked down we got onto the main course all you could hear for the next half an hour was the sound of cutlery scratching on plates it was awful 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 we walked back to work. We barely said a word. Thought that was really bad. My career's in flames. He went and told everyone, because he was a gossip, and he went and told everyone. <laughs> Stephen's a bit odd. He doesn't like to gossip about other people. He thinks he's so... You know, da, da. But it's really interesting. Everyone else heard that I didn't want to gossip. So within about a month, other senior people knocked on my door and said, Stephen, I've heard you're quite good at keeping confidence. Could I ask you about a situation? <laughs> Like, oh, I'm going through this difficult situation in a relationship. Can we go for a coffee? I'm like, okay. Like, oh, can I ask you about this case? I'm struggling with it, but I don't want anyone else to know. Is that okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the very thing I thought that set my career on fire was the very thing, just by in a tiny, tiny way being obedient to God, not knowing the consequences, not knowing the implications, not knowing what God wanted to do through it, assuming it meant complete failure. That was the very thing that God was able to use 
to accomplish the very purpose for which I was there. And he was able to make my integrity shine brightly, even though I thought it was all over. You never know what he might do through one act of obedience. And sometimes the guidance you need is on the other side of the obedience you resist. Paul says, don't conform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It means let God transform you inwardly by a complete change. Not just the outward conformity that the world desires, that you might look and sound like everyone else and not rock the boat, that you might be airbrushed and look the same. This is an inner change that your whole being might be reorientated towards God. That God by his spirit might so captivate you with Jesus Christ that you would shine brightly wherever he has placed you in a way that captivates those around you. That they might look at you and say, there's something different about that person. I don't know what it is, but they have a quiet confidence. I don't know where it comes from. They walk to a different drumbeat. I don't know where they hear it. They're not affected by the same ebbs and flows of the tide as I am. They're settled. There's a strength about them. There's a resilience about them. It's like their joy and their trust and their confidence is coming from a different place. They're not trying to climb some kind of greasy ladder because almost like they trust someone else has it for them, has their interest held. And it becomes obvious to those around us. When you live like that, it shifts things. Sometimes the guidance you seek is on the other side of the obedience you resist. I, I worked for a number of years, um, a long, long time ago in another organization. And when I started there, my kind of supervisor was just a, a great guy. He's very experienced, 20 years experience, knew what he was doing. But I just found him a bit difficult. And I, I'd been working for two years, so I obviously knew everything. And um, I thought I knew how everything should be run. And he obviously did know quite a lot of things. And so was running things how he thought it should be run. And he was right most of the time, I'm sure. But I thought I was right. And it was so frustrating. And over this nine-month, 12-month period, I got more and more frustrated and found it more and more difficult. I thought, that's the wrong decision. That's the wrong decision. Don't like how he's communicated with that person. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Just saw all the flaws. And after about 10, 11 months, we had just a passing interaction. And after that interaction, I just thought, I'm done. I'm out of here. Could be doing a lot of things in a lot of places. Don't need to be with this guy. Don't need to be with this organization. I'm off. And it's one of the only times, one of the few times in my life I've felt God speak to me almost audibly. And he said, Steve, do you want your life to be about your preferences or about my purposes? Because if you want your life to be about preferences, you can do this or that or the other, do whatever you like and it'll be comfortable and convenient and... You know, just go and do your own thing. If you want your life to be a mark of purposes, then that's much more interesting. Then we can actually do something together. And it might be painful, it might be costly, it might not be what you would have chosen, it might not be your preferences. You might have to work with some people that you find complicated at times. But are you up for that? It took me about 15 minutes to answer, you know, well, on the one hand, you know. But eventually I said, yeah, yeah, um, I pick B, I pick option B. Because I thought I don't want to miss out. And one thing you can know, it might cost you, it might be sacrificial, it might be scary. You might not know what might come next when you take that small act of obedience, when you surrender your life to God. But you can know that God's purposes for your life are good, pleasing, and perfect. Per- perfect. This guy became one of my best friends. He became one of the best mentors in my life. After about a week of doing this, I suddenly realized 
He's a great guy. I suddenly saw the motives behind his decisions. I suddenly saw some of the things that he was factoring that I wasn't even aware of. I realized, actually, that lots of the issues were in me. And over the following two years, I was able to help with some of those issues and learn some of those things and draw close to God and became a great friend of his and we were able to do some exciting stuff together. I dread to think what I might have missed out on if I'd just chosen my preferences rather than God's purposes. Because his purposes for your life are good, pleasing and perfect. They're good. You're not going to get to the end of your life following God and say, that wasn't that great, God. You're not going to get to the end of your life following God and saying, I'm displeased by what you've done. You're not going to get to the end of your life, I promise you, following God and look at him and say, I could have done better. You didn't quite achieve perfection. You could have $10 billion, you could have all the time in the world, you could have all the connections in the world, and I could sit you in a room for a day and you could plan out how your life should be. You will not be able to improve on the perfect purpose that God has for your life. It's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. Don't miss out. And you discover it by making that decision to surrender your life, to offer yourself again as a living sacrifice, asking the Holy Spirit to renew your mind, to transform your mind, and discerning where he is leading you and trusting him with your whole life. I tell you, I have made so many mistakes in my life. I've messed up more times than I care to remember. I have many, many regrets, but I have never regretted a single act of obedience to Jesus Christ. You can trust him. He's worth it. In Jesus' name. Amen.